0: Uh, friends, I've been so uh, encouraged uh, during my preparation for this uh, message this week. Um, first of all, I had uh, no idea when I was scheduling uh, this sermon series that it would be the same day that we would be relaunching uh, prayer uh, ministry at the front of the service and our, our prayer meeting um, before the service. And uh, I just take that as God's um, smile, uh, God's affirmation, God's a- encouragement to us in this journey uh, that we're taking. And and second of all, while I was uh, uh, going for a walk this week, beautiful sunshine, I listened to uh, a podcast and I. I just happened to listen to um, a podcast um, with the title Pray Big... And um, I'm listening to it, and i was just getting so excited uh, listening uh, to to these these people just saying, you know, pray big. God's uh, God's uh, invitation for us is to pray big. That I had to stop it, and I just stopped. And I'm like, okay, Lord, show me how how can I um, pray big? What do you want me to pray for? And and I was just talking to the Lord about it, and, and I feel like like He gave me four things, or I came up with four things, and I got home and I wrote them down. Four things. Pray big, big things that I want to see um, God do and I've put them down on a prayer card and now uh, daily I'll be praying uh, big through those things. And when I did that, I I got home to start my um, sermon preparation and little did I realise that we're looking at a passage where Abraham prays big. Uh, He really does, he prays big and I just take that as, again, a wonderful affirmation uh, of the Spirit's leading, the Spirit's hand, the Spirit's guidance for us uh, as we take this journey. So friends, let's pray. Let's pray and thank the Lord. We, Father, are grateful and thankful that uh, you are with us, you are for us, and you're not against us. And we invite you, Father, to pour out your Spirit upon us this morning. Lord, teach us by your Word and by your Spirit. Uh, Lord, would you come and meet with us in a special way? Uh, Father, give us ears to hear what you're saying through your Word. Give us Eyes to see your hand at work, even as Tess um, sees your we see your hand at work with, with the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, Father. Eyes to see and then hearts, Lord, to trust and obey you and follow you with joy. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to get my glass of water before I start. I've taken my um, outline from uh, Tim Keller uh, this morning and, uh, and we're going to look at the passage in three sections. And the first thing we're going to look at is how Abraham prayed. The next thing we're going to look at is why he was able to pray this way. And then finally, we're going to look at how we can get what he had and so much more. So let's look at how Abraham Prayed firstly, and and it's in uh, chapter 18, starting at verse 16. And remember the context first. Uh, In the first half of 18, Abraham's done his morning work. He's having a siesta under the trees. He opens his eyes, and there are these three glorious guests. And he runs, bows down, prepares a meal for them. And then at the after dinner conversation, they have this conversation about how Sarah, uh, who's um, barren and 90 years old, is going to have this child. And she laughs out loud. uh, And uh, and then they have this conversation. And then verse 16, have a look. The men set out from there and they looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And then verse 17 starts, the Lord said. Now, it's a funny place to stop, but the thing I want you to notice firstly about the way that Abraham prayed is that he prayed responsively. In other words, God was the one who started the conversation. And that's just like what we saw back in chapter 12, where we were introduced to Abraham. Abraham, remember, Joshua tells us, was worshipping other gods. So he was busy worshipping other gods. And then Genesis chapter 12 begins, The Lord said to Abraham, God started the conversation. Abraham started. Prayed responsively. If you go back even further to chapter 1, you'll see that the God of the Bible is always the one who starts the conversation. Genesis chapter 1 said, God said, Let there be light, and the world responded and there was light. Abraham prayed responsibly. Friends, Christian prayer always starts with God's Word. It doesn't start with our ideas about God. Oh, I like to think of God as this. Oh, I like to think of God as this. No, Christian prayer starts with God's Word. Abraham prayed responsibly. Uh, Eugene Peterson, that's why he, um, one of my favorite authors, that's why his book on prayer is called Answering God. That's the title for his book on prayer, Answering God. And in it, he writes this, Babies never learn to talk without a bunch of people talking to them. Imagine if an amazing person poured out their heart to you about who they are and what they've done, then you just talked back about yourself with absolutely no reference to what they've said. They'd think you were Asperger's or something. God has revealed all this amazing stuff about who he is and what he's done. He's poured his heart out to us in the scriptures. When you open your mouth to pray, you ought to be basing what you say on the scriptures. You should be responding to this. Friends, the first thing I want you to see, please, about how Abraham prayed is that he prayed responsibly. But he also prayed humbly. Do you see what he said about himself in verse 25? Have a look. He says, I who am but dust and ashes. And then throughout verses 30 to 32, he's like, don't be angry. Just don't be angry with me. But Uh, have you ever heard the saying, fools rush in where angels fear to tread? That's not Abraham. He prayed humbly. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 29 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There's no sense of entitlement here with Abraham. There's no sense of fools rushing in where angels fear to tread. Abraham prayed humbly, but I want you to see also in the story that Abraham prayed boldly. He keeps coming back to God six times. He keeps coming back to him asking for more. This is an adventurous prayer. This is an intimate prayer. This is a passionate and personal prayer. It's risky, it's audacious. At the same time as praying humbly, Abraham prayed boldly. So, on the one hand, Abraham seems much more aware than we are of his own weakness and his own unworthiness before God, as well as God's majesty, but he's also much more aware than we are seemingly of God's goodness and grace, where he can come in and ask big. So he's got a more majestic view of God than even traditional societies, religious societies who say, yes, God is holy, God is righteous, God is just. He seems like he's got an even more majestic view of God than traditional religious societies, but he has a more merciful view of God than progressive societies who say, yeah, God is love, God is okay, God is my buddy. No, God is much more merciful even than that. But he puts them both together. The majesty of God, And the mercy of God. And that's why his prayers are so electric, so personal, so humble, and yet so bold. And you know why that is? It's because he's basing his prayers not on the God of his imagination, but on the God who speaks through his word. He's basing it on the God of the Bible, who's received, who's revealed himself to him, both as infinitely holy, but also as infinitely loving at the same time. And so this makes his prayers both humble, but also incredibly bold. The last thing I want you to notice about how Abraham prayed is that he prayed missionally. Do you notice he's not praying for himself? Who's he praying for? He's praying for the city of Sodom. He's praying for the sinful city of Sodom. We're going to find out just how wicked they are in the next chapter, chapter 19. And by the way, friends, let me just warn you, the next story is R-rated, okay? So, like, seriously, it's Um, R-rated. And that's because of how wicked and sinful... Uh, this city was. But we've already been told about them in chapter 13, verse 13, about the people of Sodom. It says, the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. But you know, there's a clue about how evil they were in verse 20 of chapter 18. If you look at verse 20, God says, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin. And friends, this word outcry in the Bible in the Old Testament is used in a very particular way to describe the cries of the oppressed and the brutalized. It's used for the cry of the oppressed widow and orphans in Exodus 22, but it's also used of the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt, Exodus chapter 2, and God heard their outcry of being oppressed and brutalized. And so one commentator says, The word outcry connotes the anguished cry of the oppressed, the agonized plea of the victim for help in the face of some great injustice. The sin of Sodom then is heinous moral and social corruption an arrogant disregard of basic human rights. That's what God is hearing, this outcry that God is hearing from the city of Sodom. And how does Abraham pray. What does he want for them? What does he ask God to do for these heinous, moral and social people? He asks God to forgive. Did you see that in the parable? He wants God to forgive them, these evil people, these evil city. Well you might say, come on Kieran, of course he wants God to spare them. His nephew Lot lives there along with this whole family. Of course God wants to forgive them. But if that were the case, why would he not just say, Lord, can you please spare Lot and the family? Why would he say, can you spare the entire city, this wicked city of Sodom? No, Abraham has a heart for the lost. He has a heart for the city, a heart for the most wicked and depraved people who would kill him in a heartbeat. He prays missionally. So I want to ask, what is the secret to praying like this, to praying responsively, audaciously, humbly, as well as boldly and, and praying missionally? How do you get to pray like that? Well, let's look at why he was able to pray this way. He was able to pray this way because of his theological depth, his understanding of who God was and who God had revealed himself to be. He knew two things about God that we see. And the first thing that he knew about God is that God is a God of justice. Look at verse 25. When he prays, his first response to God, he says, "...shall not the judge of all the earth..." do what is just. He knew that he was a God of justice. Abraham wants a reprieve for Sodom but he knows that God is a God of justice and he can't just sweep their sins under the carpet as if they didn't happen. But he knows that God, of, a God of justice cannot also punish the righteous because that wouldn't be just either. And so the first thing that he knows about God is that he's a God of justice But the second thing he knows about God is that he's a God of grace. You'll see the affirmation and the blessing that he speaks in verse 18, for example. Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, what was Abraham doing in chapter 12, verse 1, when God first made that promise to him? He was worshipping other gods. So early on, Abraham might have been tempted to think... God wants me on his team. It must be because of my record or my righteousness or my resume. But Joshua 24 tells us he was worshipping other gods when God decided to bless him. And then after failure, after failure, after failure that we've seen throughout this story, he I think it's finally come down to him that he knows that God is a God of grace who does not treat us as our sins deserve. So he knows that God is a God of grace justice, and God is a God of grace. And then he goes on this thought experiment with the Lord. Lord, I know that you're a God of justice, which means you can't just sweep our sins or Sodom's sins under the carpet, but you're also a God of grace. So seeing as you love righteousness so much, would you be prepared to spare all of these wicked people because of how much you love righteousness? We've all heard the saying, a few bad apples spoil the bunch. You know that saying? In other words, one person's wickedness can easily transfer onto the whole group of the righteous. But Abraham's asking God, would it be possible for the righteousness of the few to be transferred onto the wicked many? That's what he's going with. And over and over again in the story, six times, Abraham is asking God, is it possible that you could love righteousness so much, this group over here, that it could be imputed or counted to this wicked group of people over here? Could that be possible? And so he starts with the number 50. What if there were 50 righteous people? Would you count their righteousness to all these wicked people? God says, yes, I would. So Abraham's like, wait, okay, let me get this straight. You'd be willing to save the many wicked on account of these 50 righteous. Well, what about 45? Yep. 40? Yep. And the second half, he does it six times. He gets bolder. Now we go in increments of 10. 30? Yep. 20? 20? I'd do it for 20. What about 10? I'd do it for 10. But then all of a sudden, he stops. Why doesn't he keep going? I mean, if you've got God from 50 down to 10, why not go all the way to 1? I mean, he's got God on the ropes. And then that's it. He goes home, he stops. Why does he stop at ten? I wonder if, while he's bargaining God down further and further, you know, the first thing God says is, "Yeah, I'd be do it if I found fifty righteous people." And Abraham's going, "Oh, crikey, will he be able to find fifty righteous people in Sodom?" Better take it down to forty-five, and so on and so on and so forth, down to ten where he finally reaches the conclusion of Psalm 14, or Romans chapter 3. There is no one who is righteous. Not even one. And so he bails. And guess what happens to the city of Sodom in the next chapter? They're destroyed. It says that Lot was spared because of Abraham's prayers. But the city was destroyed because there's no one righteous, not even one. But friends, many, many years later, there was a righteous one who, just like Abraham, leveraged his relationship with God, not for himself, not for his own ends, but for his enemies. You see, Abraham prayed for a group of people who might have killed him, whereas the Lord Jesus prayed for his enemies while they actually tortured and crucified him. What did he pray for his enemies? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Abraham said, look, I'm representing these wicked people, Lord. Please don't be angry with me. Whereas the Lord Jesus Christ represented us to the Father while he bore the cosmic weight of divine wrath and justice for our sins in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous. In verse 22, it says that Abraham drew near to the Lord. He came near to the Lord like a priest, representing uh, the the Sodomites, the the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He represented them like a lawyer, trying to make a case with them, which is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. The righteous one draws near to the Father, and he says to the Father, "'The wages of sin is death, but Father, I have paid those wages in full. And so I appeal to you, not on the basis of your mercy,' But on the basis of your justice, because it would not be just for you to receive two payments for the same sins. I've already paid. There is no more debt left. So I appeal to you on the basis of your justice. Forgive them. I've already paid their debt. And so, friends, Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Which is why Hebrews seven twenty five says, Therefore Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through Jesus. Because Jesus always lives to intercede for them. He's always saying to the Father, Lord, I know they stuffed up, but it would be unjust for you to punish them. I appeal to you on the basis of your justice. I have already paid. They have no debt to pay before you. So as we begin to wrap it up this morning, I want to talk about how we can get what Abraham had and so much more. We can have a relationship with God that is far more passionate and more humble and more bold and more audacious and intimate and more bold and more missional than Abraham because Abraham was just a shadow of what we have in Christ. First of all, if you understand the gospel that you were so bad that Jesus had to die, you'll be far more humble than Abraham. And secondly, if you understand the gospel that you are far more loved, uh, that Jesus was glad to die, you'll be far more bold than Abraham. Friends, if your prayers ever sound like this, what I'm about to describe, then you don't get the gospel and how good it is. And how it blasts our categories. If you, if you say, Lord I know I've been a bad boy or a bad girl this week but could you please just or maybe you don't even ask because you know you've been a bad boy or a bad girl. <laughs> you've had a bad week, have you? You don't know the half of it. You're not the judge of whether or not you've had a bad week. I'm the judge of whether or not you've had a bad week. And believe me, the very best week that you've ever had doesn't even come close to qualifying you to enter into the presence of the holy, righteous, majestic God. So if you think being a good boy or good girl is the thing that qualifies you to pray boldly to God, then you may as well just give up now forget about it that's humbling isn't it I can't get in on my own but you also don't get the gospel which says at the same time you are more loved and more accepted in Jesus Christ than you could possibly dare to imagine that makes you bold Bold as a lion because the thing that qualifies you to enter is not your righteousness or your record or your week, but it's Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' record and His standing with the Father that qualifies you to enter and that's going to make you bold. Bold as a lion. So Hebrews fourteen sixteen says, "'So let us come boldly to the throne of grace.'" We can pray far more humbly. We can pray far more boldly. We can pray far more responsively because of what has been revealed to us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word. And finally, we can ask for much bigger things than Abraham. Abraham prayed for an entire city, a sinful city, wicked, unjust, that they would be forgiven. And he came back again and again. He said, no, I want more. I want more. I want more. He prayed big and we can pray far bigger. You know, the Lord Jesus was so worried that we wouldn't get this point that in John 14 to 16, he repeated himself six times to try and beg us to pray big. Six times in John 14 to 16. That's a lot of repetition because he was worried that we wouldn't take him seriously about praying big. I'm not going to read all six of them. You can check it out yourself. But John 14 verse 14, Jesus says to his disciples, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15 verse 16. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you john sixteen verse twenty three truly, I tell you anything you ask in the, the Father in my name, he will give it to you as we 've seen, these are things that have been tested by the promises and the uh, the power and the purposes of God that we bring to ask. If you ask in the father 's name he 'll give it to you. James, the brother of Jesus. He said in James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. So ask and ask big. This is what I was so excited about earlier in the week, going, wow, what is it that I'm going to ask? Maybe you could do that too. Is the Spirit impressing on you what it is that you could ask for? So with all the stuff that we're doing here, with the relaunch of prayer ministry, with the relaunch of the 9am prayer meeting, with the monthly prayer meeting that we're having on Tuesday nights, there's so many kinds of applications I can think of, but I'm just going to give you one. And that is pray. Pray that we would become a praying church. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And as we've learned from Abraham this morning, pray responsively in response to how he's revealed himself to be in the scriptures. Pray humbly, knowing that you're far more sinful and flawed than you could ever dare to believe, but at the same time pray boldly, knowing that you're far more loved and accepted in Christ than you could ever hope. Or imagine, Friends, pray persistently, coming back to God again and again. Why haven't you done it, Lord? You haven't done it yet to persist with Him. Pray missionally, not just for yourself. Pray for the city that you're in. I mean, dare we pray for the city of... Cottesloe that the gospel would go out the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and that people would find forgiveness of sins by turning to him the one who died for them in their place on the cross and rose again to know, well, could we pray missionally and finally pray big don't put limits on God as John Newton once said You know that guy, he said, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great saviour. He was a slave trader, wicked man. The outcry would have gone up about him. I am a great sinner. That's his lowliness and humility and God's majesty, but Christ is a great saviour. That's the boldness. He said this, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such... None can ever ask too much. It's good, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our great high priest, the true and better Abraham, who stood in in our place for us, the righteous for the unrighteousness, atoning for our sins and interceding for us always, his wounds, his blood and his righteousness so that we can come humbly and we can come boldly. Holy Spirit, show us what to ask for and teach us to pray. Father, would you Help us to become a praying church that you may be glorified. Father, would you give us eyes to see your hand at work? Lord, as we relaunch the 9 a.m. prayer meeting next Sunday, would you bless us with your presence and with faith and expectation? Lord, as we relaunch the prayer ministry at the start of the service, Would you build our sense of faith and hope and joy and delight in your grace and goodness to us. Father, would you do great and mighty things through our prayers, even as we pray to you, in Jesus' name. Amen.